Abba Yahweh, again, the opportunity to be in your treasury, to pull from the shelves and the storage, to share, and then to watch the fountain just well up again in the empty space. Your treasure, your blessings, your grace, your mercy, boundless, Father God. The opportunity to share with brothers and sisters and to whoever will lend an ear and lean in and hear you, Father. To accept that Jesus Christ came for a sacrifice for all our sakes. For all of us sin and come short of glory, Father God. But Jesus Christ came to repair, to offer redemption, salvation, to be with you for eternity. Yahweh Aman, Yeshua, Aman, Parakritos Aman. Brothers and sisters, the stirring, the stirring. So, some very important things to share. They're all important, but I, I love this. Uh, the fact that as I've shared and verbally illustrated to you what I what I saw in a dream. I thought I was dreaming. It seemed like I was awake, but I walked into God's treasury, the treasure house. Doors were ginormous. Angels standing at the gate just to just put the key in and open this huge door. Walked in, I couldn't see the back wall, I couldn't see the side wall, I couldn't see the ceiling, and just so, so bright and shiny of, of uh, gems and jewels and, and precious metals and to go in and, <laughs> and it was almost like a library though where I could find certain scriptures and words and just to go in and, and reach in and scrape a bunch off the shelf and then watch it just like an artesian well, bubble up and refill the empty space again. It was an amazing visual, but God is amazing. So the enemy's really been hitting hard because I think he's uh, bothered by the fact that, that God is using me and, and that um, I am staying... I'm not going anywhere. I'm doing my father's business. I, I'm staying in the word and I, I try with my heart. And here's the thing, brothers and sisters. Do not fall, pray, and give in to the white noise of the enemy. And then you look back when, when and there will be the naysayers that will do this, when people bring up names like David and Solomon, and, yeah, but they this and yeah, but they that. Well, yes, they did, except that they repented. And when they fell, they always went back to their source. They went back to the source of the well of living water. They went back to the source of redemption. They went back to the source of their beginning. They came and they repented to God. And here's the thing that a lot of people have a misconception of and, and it's getting kind of bothersome actually, but you know what? That's just the way the nature of the beast and the white noise interference. I've already shared with you that I really love the program Chosen. It's an interpretation of the Bible, a translation, if you will, but not like Hollywood. I mean, there's some terrible stuff that's come out of Hollywood to try to be biblical, 
but it's so Hollywood. It's so fake. It's so hypocrisy. Not even close. And they actually don't even use anything that can can be. <laughs> Some of them comes close. Only a couple of really good ones. But I love this because. It is a good word, and I have prayed over it because I I fell in love with it the first um, couple episodes, and I asked God, I said, this is your word, Father. It's staying close. It's staying true. It's interpolating but not going, making it terrible, and God has honored them through me that he's allowing me to do the program called Pay It Forward, so everyone has the opportunity it's like, like the Gideons used to do. They used to put the Bibles out in the hotels and the motels. And it was free. It didn't cost you anything. They just put them in the hotel. You could take them home. And they kept refilling your drawers. And every time you go in a motel, you find this. And now that's become offensive. So hotels don't do that anymore. That's pretty pathetic, actually. I, I'm, I'm sad by that. I pray about it because I don't want my heart to be agitated by that. But understand how offended people get by the word Christian or Christians. And there are many that have lost their savor. And many that are by title only. They don't act Christian. They don't speak Christian. They only claim the title because once a month they go to church with their spouse and their kids. And they say it that way because it could be a man or a woman. The man could be the one who's the spiritual leader and trying to be as it should be. And then in some houses, it's the woman. So it could be either way. But the point being that you just have to stay true. All have come fall short of the glory of God. All of us are sinful. And a very interesting thing that um, that I was actually listening to yesterday and reaffirmed that children are not, they have no guile when they're born. And... Um, as a reaffirmation that, um, and this was coming from a secular direction that, that children are being taught these things and, you know, because parental control is at a loss and, and it, it wasn't, but it was coming, it was in a biblical verbiage, but not using scripture. And this was from the secular and that, reaffirming that children are taught these things and that they don't know how to do certain things until they're taught. And this is exactly, exactly, exactly why children are God's favorite. And Jesus Christ rebuked his disciples when they tried to keep the small children away because they thought they were going to be bothersome to Jesus Christ, but they are his favorite. Why? Because they are sinless. That's factual. It's scriptural. Check it out. Look at it. It's, they're sinless. <clears throat> they're born into a world of sin, but all are born sinless. They are born without guile. 
What that means is they don't know how to lie. They don't know how to cheat. They don't know how to steal. Don't know how. And children, until they're taught how to do that, will always speak the truth. They might be frightened, but when a parent comes and says, did you just do that? And the child will respond affirmatively if they did, if they're responsible. And if they're not, they will say no, and the parent should accept that. Sometimes you see, don't you lie to me! Or mom, don't you lie to me. You tell me the truth, young man, young woman. And they don't believe the child, but the child is incapable of lying to them. So what that does is it propels the child into a way of getting out of trouble by lying. So we have to be cautious and careful and guard these precious gems. And sadly, there are so many that are not. And those that are being that are irresponsibly aborting babies. And I say that because it is irresponsible. The, the, the mother's choice, but there are people that would love to adopt that can't have children. They want to have a children. And then you get all these knucklehead people out there that get, oh, they find it offensive because a white man and woman want to adopt a black baby or an Asian couple want to adopt a Hispanic child or whatever. They find something to be offended about. What is the offense? There's no offense being done. A parent wants to have a child. They can't. They love this child and they will treat. But, oh, no, it's got to be a child of the same race. Why is there so much derisiveness that's being pushed and pandered? And, brothers and sisters, it's... I get so irritated when I, I see this stuff and I have to pray over this. This critical race theory junk that's being pushed on our students teaching our children to be hateful and derisive. Yes, it is. Never heard of this stuff when I was growing up. When I was a kid, my friend Michael, black, it was a hard life for him because his his, uh, his mom was... Uh, Dad was wanting to be a gangster, and Mom was in, wanting to be into drugs. But Michael and I, when he came over, I mean, and we were just tiddler toddlers, and his parents knew that my mom would take care of him, changed his diaper. We were changed side by side on the bed, side by side, and we then we would spend the day playing together, black and white. I never saw any kind of color, never saw him as a different color. We always played together. And then one day he just stopped coming over, you know, as we were growing a little bit. So, And then we were just toddling. And then I saw him and I said, how come you don't come to that, come play anymore? And this came out of his young little mouth. Where'd this come from? He goes, oh, you just think I'm a nigger. And I'm like, I didn't understand. I had never heard that word before. I didn't even understand where that was coming from. Where did it come from? It came from his mother and father because that's the environment that they were already in and the term that was used. I had never heard it before. And I was in tears because he was saying things that I that were hateful. 
never heard of one. We didn't care. We played together. There was never any kind of color striation. There was no difference. I, I didn't see him as black and I as white. White colored. I'm actually Native American and have true African blood in me flowing than many black that Americans that claim to be African-American. They've never been to Africa. They don't know where their ancestral line come from. And they may not even have but the minimal African blood flowing in their veins. I have more African blood flowing in me than many of them do. But yet I get called whitey and white boy and all that stuff and I'm neither one. (laughs) But anyway, beside the point. The point being that he didn't know and I didn't know, but he was taught to recognize that. He was taught to recognize the difference in coloration. He was taught the derisiveness. He was taught that I was just going to hate him because he was black. But that wasn't the case at all. But yet, where is the fault and the blame? Well, yes, the mother and father were teaching him what they were already doing. But where did they get it from? Somebody taught them. Brothers and sisters, the point being that we have to stop this. We have to stop this. I mean, my goodness gracious, we are all God's creation. Remember what I said. I've shared with you before. God put the tonation of color to the skin. The character of our heart is our determination. Do you choose to feed the black dog or the white dog? And that's got nothing to do with race, so don't get your knickers in a twist about that. It's only got to do with darkness and light. Do you choose to feed the darkness and allow it to fester and nurture and attack every time that somebody comes forward to be either in need, help, or even in just greeting? Are you going to snap at them because of their color or their race or the country of origin? Are you going to drive derisiveness? Or are you going to understand that there is diversity in this world and God made it that way? Or are you going to feed the dog that comes from the light? Goodness and kindness and wants to greet everyone with, with grace and compassion. So the two natures that beat within our chest, my chest, the one of hate or the one of love, which one are you going to nurture? Which one are you going to rise, raise to be strengthened so that it puts that part out? And they're there because the enemy wants to drive the dark. He wants the, the darkness. He wants the separation and derision. And here's the, here's the bottom line agenda that everybody gets wrong. Everybody, even some so-called Christian teachers get this wrong. The agenda is not on, uh, let's see, how's that word, how's that go, prima facie? which means out in the open, the first that you see. It's not that. And it's nothing to do with the government. It's got nothing to do with what you see in the people or the party lines. None of that. The agenda is simply 
that God wants us to have the opportunity to be saved by the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. And anyone can do it. All you have to do is say, I will, I do, let's go. And that means I will follow Jesus. I do want to have faith or I do have faith and I will trust the Holy Spirit. Let's go whatever road that you take, whatever path you take, I'm there beside you and you're guiding me and I will trust you. Lord Jesus, I trust that you are taking me on the way that I need to be. And it doesn't, and that detour might be long, but here's the thing that we get the wanking about so much. Oh, this has taken so much longer. Are we there? And then you start sounding like the child on the way to the beach or to camping or to Disneyland, Disney World, Knott's Spray Farm, wherever that you used to <clears throat> get agitated when your children were growing up. Are we there yet? 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 Every two to three minutes. And you would get that from the back seat of the car. And one thing that we learned in our automobile when traveling, and, and mom and dad would just tell us, but father would sternly say, we will be there when we get there. And don't ask every five minutes if we're there. When we get there, you'll know. And um, the only time that it came up was that, uh, you know, if he had to go to the bathroom or something like that, and then he'd find one for us. But there was none of this every five minutes. And we do the same thing in our walk. God, are we there yet? God, are we there yet? God, are we there yet? God, why is it taking so long? God, are we there why do we take that turn? God, 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 God. But you know, it's infinite patience. <laughs> because brothers and sisters, man, it's God's timing. It's not our timing. But in our finite minds, we always try to figure out why it's taking so long. Why did we go this direction or this? It's none of your business. You have to walk in faith and not by sight and trust that the way is the way it should be. And there may be a very practical, safe reason for you to go that way. God has walked the direction, the path, and the road in the day. He's been there already. He knows what's coming, and it could very well be for your own protection. I've shared with you already that error that I made in driving, and, and my co-pilot is the Holy Spirit. My Lord is with me all the time, all day, every day. Took a wrong turn. Prayed about it, got all twisted around and turned around. But then when I got down to the bottom area and crossing a, uh, a river crossing on one of the river branches, there was a terrible accident down there. And figuring out just the arrival of the emergency vehicles and the timing, had I made the correct directional turn and been where I was supposed to be, without having to do the turnaround, I would have been right smack where that incident took place and other people would have been involved besides what happened there. It was protection. That's what my faith tells me is that God knew that was coming and was looking to protect not only me, but the people that ride with me. They're blessed and they don't even know it and they get a blessing. 
And that's what I keep reminding myself through the course of the day is that other people around rather than to react and be uh, reactive and, you know, all this stuff, it it still gets agitating when they do some really, really silly stuff out there driving around. Um, but the thing of it is, is they're getting blessed and they don't even realize it. They don't even know it. Why? Because God is with me. The Holy Spirit rides with me and Jesus Christ is, is in me. And, and that relationship keeps me safe and them safe. But here's the thing we have to keep in mind and remember always that God is sovereign and whatever occurs is by that your faith has to keep you affirmed that that's the path that you're on doesn't matter what happens it really doesn't matter what happens but here's the thing that's very important that we have to remember that God is with us everywhere and this is um, in Psalm 139 a poem that is written by David one of his many poems. God likes his poems and his singing, by the way. So get over all the stuff and trying to look for the negative. There are so many people that look to the negativity of everything. My goodness gracious. Makes me wonder. I'm not going to go there, but get over the negativity. Get beyond that. They will find fault in everything. You could hand them the most beautiful gifts, the the most perfect gems, the most beautiful polished silver and gold ingots and or whatever, the, the, the best chocolate on the planet, whatever. And you can serve it on a golden platter or a silver platter and they will find something. Oh, this piece of chocolate's got that nasty bubble and it's not even a whole piece of chocolate. Goodness gracious. Oh, there's a smudge on this ingot bar of pure gold. There's a smudge on this ingot bar of pure silver. There will be something that they will find to gripe about. That's sad to me. You can't just be grateful and say thank you. As we should be to the Lord God Almighty is just be thankful for what we have. For everything comes from God. Every single thing that you have possessed, it's by the grace of God that you even have it. So what are you griping about giving back some portion for? Cut it out. For the leader of David, a psalm, Hashim. Remember that word as your Lord God. You have examined me and know me. When I sit down or stand up, you know it. You discern my thoughts from afar. You observe my walking and reclining and are familiar with all my ways. There is not a word on my tongue, but that you, Hashem, know it well. You hedge me before and behind. You lay your hand upon me. It is beyond my knowledge. It is a mystery. I cannot fathom it. Where can I escape from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I descend to Shil, you are there too. If I take wing with the dawn to come to rest on the western horizon, even there your hand will be guiding me. 
your right hand will be holding me. If I say, surely darkness will conceal me, night will provide me with cover. Darkness is not dark for you. Night is as light a day. Darkness and light are the same. It is you who created my conscience. You fashioned me in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am awesomely, wondrously made. Your work is wonderful. I know it well. Brothers and sisters, it doesn't matter where we go, what we are in, where we try to hide, and we think sometimes that when we hide or we're in darkness that we're uh, hiding from God. Can't hide from God. God is everywhere, sees everything. Remember the word, omniscient, all-knowing, omnipresent, always present, everywhere, omnipotent, all-powerful. We need to exercise the faith and get away from the finite mindset and try to figure out the mystery of God. As David talked about the mystery, he's before me, he's after me, he's all about me, he hedges me in protection. He guides my steps through his Holy Spirit, which was promised when Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of Lord God Almighty, was getting ready to leave. And he told the disciples, those disciples that were present there, <clears throat> as he told all the disciples, which we are, <clears throat> pardon me, that he would send another because he had to go. And that other, of course, being the Holy Spirit, the Spirit that would be coming to guide and teach and give us the knowledge. But you have to ask for it. Isaiah 40, 10, and 11 expresses some things here about God as well. So we have to understand, brothers and sisters, that these the faith. We have to have faith and remember, get away from the negativity because there will be something negative that something will find about somebody. And yeah, David fell quite a bit. And he did. And he knew it. But he repented and went back and and asked God to forgive God. God accepted his repentance as he will always do because he's a good father. So brothers and sisters, we just have to remember that we will fall, but do not believe the harshness of the enemy who says that we're a failure. You might have failed at that one thing or those couple of things, but that doesn't make you a failure. Only in that particular instance, but not in your life. The enemy loves when we're discouraged. I fall prey to this, brothers and sisters, because I like things to be just so. I was raised that way by my earthly mother and father. More so by my earthly father because he was a Marine and they like things to be a certain way. And I went in the Marine Corps and I spent a lot of years in the Marine Corps and I like to have things a certain way. And that actually was a detriment for a time, which is why I'm where I am now instead of with my son's mother where I should have stayed and been with. But had I been the man of God, 
I should have been, I would be. But here's the thing. I'm not binding myself to that past. The consequences that I'm in and have gone through are because of that fatal area of not having faith in God and his direction and his steps. I was not walking with God. I walk with God today and now, and I look to God for answers and guidance and direction, and the Holy Spirit is with me. And I look around from what I have. But brothers and sisters, I'm not binding. The devil wants me to be bound by that. He wants me to be bound by things that are happening internally, family structure. He always does that. He drives the negativity. He drives the regret, the remorse, and he wants you to waller in that. So picture this, if you will. Here is Satan and his minions, and they're tending this beautiful waller pit. Beautiful, actually. If you were a pig, you'd love it. And pigs do that only to help them stay cool and to to have the bugs off. Pigs don't like to be there. Actually, pigs are very clean, if you know anything about them. And I have family that, that raise them. But anyway, get back on track. So when you look at this waller pit and it's bubbling and all this stirring up of this slime and stuff, you see that when the bubbles pop, there's you can almost see words. It's like, wow. And then you see them come and they're floating on that regret, remorse, would have, should have, could have. It's all hindsight and past sense. And, and you may have heard the old saying that hindsight is always twenty twenty. Foresight is misty, foggy, out of focus. Well, that's really because when you look back, you should only be looking back to see when God has been carrying you and see how much God has been with you all the time and how much God has protected you. You don't look back in remorse and regret. Even in the tough times, you look back and see that God was there. That's what you look back on and remember how often God is with you. Not in remorse, not in regret, and quit swimming out into the sea of forgetfulness because when you come and you ask God for forgiveness, that's where he tosses stuff. We will swim out and pick it up again and bring it back and carry it around and then have to go through it again. That's, that's what our nature is, brothers and sisters. Face it, it's reality. So this idea that you have individuals that will go off and because of the redemption of Jesus Christ that they just wind up floating around everywhere and always with Jesus is not correct direction. It's not correct. It doesn't happen that way. Why? Because the enemy is constantly pushing and driving derisiveness and separation, and the goal is to separate us from God. Why? Because Satan used to live there, and he's still really ticked off of the fact that the Lord God kicked him out of heaven because of his rebellion and his wanting to be sovereign Lord God. But he wasn't sovereign Lord God. And he isn't a sovereign Lord God. He does not have sovereignty, brothers and sisters. And here's the, here's the fact that people miss out on all the time. Is that we have been given, actually, authority over even over Satan. We have the authority. But where 
the failure in that particular instance comes in is in our mindset. Oh, we can't possibly have that. Uh, Satan's too powerful. Satan is Satan's powerful. He, he's he's the king of the, of of hell. Sheol. He's the prince of the air. I can't. No. He might be those things in your mindset, but the authority that Jesus Christ gave us, and I come short sometimes when I because the mindset is how can I how can I rebuke this? How can I? And that's exactly the white noise interference that Satan wants us to fall prey to, believing that we can't. And that's true. We can't, because if we put ourselves centered in that, then no, we can't. But with God and Christ, all things are possible with the authority that he has given to us. So I say... In Isaiah 40, 10 and 11. And, and I'm reading this from the old translation, which I, I love the way they speak in, in some translations of, of these things. And in Isaiah 40, 10 and 11. Behold, Hashem comes in might. And his arm wins triumph for him. See, his reward is with him, his recompense before him. Like a shepherd, he pastures his flock. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them in his bosom. Gently, he drives the mother's sheep. And how does he drive the mother's sheep or the other sheep of the flock? By his voice. By his voice. Or a gentle guidance with their staff. It's just a touch. Just a touch. It isn't a whacking or anything like that. The, the, a shepherd's crook, as, it, as it's called, as you, in the little poem, Little Bo Peep, you see that shepherd's crook, and it's got that big, almost a halo hook on the end of it. Well, what that was for is to help the sheep if they had come into a tangle of brambles or bush or they got stuck in a mud mire down near a stream and, and the shepherd could, could put that around them and, and help get them out. Or if a, a lamb or one of them fell into a crevice that he could use that to, to help them. And the staff was never used by a good shepherd to whack or because the sheep were doing something that they shouldn't have been doing to to whack them. And, you know, like people do with their dogs and their animals now, they, oh my gosh. At any rate, that's not what it was for. It was for guidance and protection as the God's staff is for guidance and protection. He will touch gently on the side that he doesn't want you going. He doesn't want you going to the left, so he's going to tap you on your left side gently and guide you to go the other direction. But here's the thing. The good shepherd is never, never harms a sheep, always protective. And that's a good illustration when, the, when he's carrying the lamb. So when you look back as that lithograph, the, the footprints in the sand... Well, yes, Lord God, I looked over and 
your shoulder, I look back and there was only one set of footprints there. What was that all about? Where were you? I was alone. No, that was when I was carrying you. God will never leave nor forsake. Again, I've shared with this with you before, and I'll share it yet again. The word of God bears repeating, and when there are things that are necessary, and then there are going to be those that are going to be offended and agitated and all upside, I don't care. I'm doing what God wants me to do. Oh, he's getting so redundant. He's getting so repetitive. Well, sometimes it's necessary. And if you look around the world today, you will see that, oh my goodness, yeah, it's, it's quite necessary. But God will not leave you, which means that he's just not going to wander off. You might think in your mindset that God left. God didn't leave. He's seeing things that you've decided to do regardless of what he's saying. So the appearance is that he's, he hasn't gone anywhere. Hasn't gone anywhere. And brothers and sisters, I'm not just saying, I'm saying you because I'm the one speaking, but us. Because, you know, here's the truth of that. I do that sometimes. And when these things... <clears throat> Some people say, oh, it's a force of habit. Don't blame it on that. No, it's not. It's a choice. You've chosen to do that. Don't blame it on something that's happenstance. You've chosen to keep going back and repeating that. And it's not a force of habit. It's a choice of habit. Who's beating you with a stick, twisting your arm, and making you do that thing that might not be a good thing? No one. So brothers and sisters, he, he will not leave you. And God's not going to take you into a situation that might be tumultuous or an exercise to help improve your faith and your strength and then just walk away and leave you in the midst of that all by yourself. Doesn't work that way. Does not work that way. God will not leave you, nor will God forsake you. The difference being that he just doesn't walk away and then taking you into a tumultuous situation, um, a great battle that might have been necessary that, you, that we both take part in, and he will let you know if that's a necessary thing to do, and then just walk away, bring you there, and then just walk off and leave you on your own. God will not do that. That is forsaking you. God will not do either one. He will not leave nor forsake you. He will stand with you. He will be beside you to guide you. And the Lord's sovereign God comes with power. His sovereignty. He also comes with the power of love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Do you think that that did not take strength? Do you think that some people, I've heard some people express this, that, oh, Jesus just gave up. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, I'm laughing in your face because you are foolish. And if you continually believe in that and try to preach that, then you are a fool. 
And if you believe that, then you are quite foolish and you better get in the word of truth. You think that Jesus just gave up and that was because of weakness? Understand this, that because he is the captain of the hosts of heaven and he is part of the sovereign Lord God Almighty, was with a word from the beginning and by his word alone, he could have called 10,000 angels. That's all it would have taken. Wouldn't have even taken that many. And he could have destroyed the world and set him free to go back to heaven. And at a word, he could have said this, Father, and in the, in the garden of Gethsemane, he was praying so fervently that he broke blood vessels, capillaries in his face because he was so pushing prayer and he was so tense about it that they broke. And it appeared that he was sweating blood the capillaries all in his face were breaking. And then he actually asked God, he said, Father, if there be any other way, take this cup from me. He didn't want to die. But then nearly in the same breath, he turned around and turned around, said, your will be done, Father. I will do this thing, your will be done as was the prayer that he taught the disciples when they asked him, teach us how to pray. So the strength that Jesus had, knowing that he was going to be crucified, knowing that he was going to be betrayed, but he still went, he still went to the garden, knowing that Judas was going to bring members of the Sanhedrin, Herodian guard, Romans, that they were going to come like gangbusters in there, like they were going to take them. And as he told him, he said, why do you come now like robbers and thieves in the night? He said, I was, I was in a synagogue. I was in the temple with you all the time. And I was speaking the same thing then as I am now. Why didn't you touch me then? Why didn't you put your hands on me then? Because they were cowards. They were the cowards. They were fearful that his authority, people were hearing it and believing. So they didn't want to let people see them put their hands on him. Oh, no. Couldn't do that because then they wouldn't have stayed in their their mindset of their authority and their power that they had, which they really love. And that was the problem, that they love it so much. I shared that with you before. They go into the temple, they dress a certain way, and they make a big deal about how much uh, they put into the coin box, which they wind up getting back anyway, but they have a funnel on it. So when they put their coins in, it makes a big rattling sound as it goes down into the box. And then the box for those that don't have so much is just small and it's over and there's nothing in there, just a little slot and they'll drop the coin in and it doesn't make any noise. And when they go, they make a big production about their trappings that they wear, their caps and the shawl over their head, and they go out and they stand in the corner and they do their little routine and they make a loud wailing noise to draw people's attention that they're in prayer. And then when people come to try to talk to them, they wave them off. They put their hand up to, to, oh, don't bother me. I'm in prayer. I'm talking to God. I have no time to deal with you because you're not in the same level that I'm in. I'm a priest that's supposed to be taking care of you, but I have no time for you because I'm talking to God. No, you're making a showboat. 
And in Psalm, David writes yet again, when he goes and he prays to God, and most of these prayers and songs that he writes to, brothers and sisters, they're his, uh, they're his poems or his songs that he sings to God. But in Psalm 6, I'm sorry, Psalm 63, pardon me, Psalm 63. I'm old, <laughs> old and blind, going deaf. Nah, just uh, made an error. I pardon my football. So in 63, verse 2, Hashem, you are my God. I search for you, my soul thirsts for you, my body yearns for you as a parched and thirsty land that hath no water. I shall behold you in the sanctuary and see your might and glory. And one of David's songs that he wrote, and some of you might have come across it, as a doe longs for flowing streams. So longs my soul for thee, O God. I want for myself continually to be in this treasury his treasure house. And I fall, brothers and sisters, we all will fall. But that doesn't make us a failure. Do not fall prey to that white noise of the enemy, which is his desire that we do. Because when we do that, we become discouraged. We throw up our hands and our arms and we say, I give up, I can't do it, I, I can't do it anymore. I've shared with you that one of my compatriots and my uh, teachers is that after, I think he said 12, 14 years, this guy had been preaching, was a pastor, and um, gave up and just said, I can't do this anymore. Brothers and sisters, nowhere in the Bible does it say that it's going to be an easy walk. Nowhere does it say that it's going to be an easy walk. Why do you think that there are so many places in the Word of God that he says that we must put on the full armor of God? And there are people that believe, oh, that's, that's, just a, that's a metaphor and that's, you know, God didn't mean that we're going to have to fight or that we're going to... Uh, brother and sister, you better reread the Bible because it says that we are in a spiritual warfare and that we do not fight against those things on the temporal plane, that we fight against those evils of darkness, princes of darkness. What does that mean? That means that his, his Chaldeans, remember there are different levels of demons that will come 
You have serpents and scorpions that are pests and pestilence that will come and drop the seeds of the weeds. But you have those that will come and frontally attack. They will assault. They will cause pain and destruction. And those are the Chaldeans. Those are the spirits that fell from grace. They were kicked out. And those are the ones that have the might and the power. They will ambush. They will come. And those are the ones that will be ambushing you and wrestling you to the ground and tormenting. Those are powerful. And they are real, brothers and sisters. They are something real. So those that want to wear the rose-colored glasses and say, oh, I only want to hear the good stuff. I only want to hear the goodness. Yeah, you might want that, but the reality is that it's not the only portion of the Bible that you should be reading and not the only portion that you should be paying attention to. You have to have trust. You have to have faith. We have to learn this new habit, if you want to call things a habit, but it's a choice. Those are choices. And that is to say, I trust you, Lord. I trust you, Jesus, in the face of whatever is happening, whatever is happening. I trust that you're here. I trust that you're walking with me. I believe that. And have to remember that he is all-powerful. He is sovereign. And we have to remember that no matter the height, the depth, the breadth of his love, that is unfathomable. We can't even comprehend it with our finite minds. So stop trying to grasp all these things and find answers through the finite mindset because it doesn't work. In our mind, there's an end and a limit. And that it doesn't happen the way things are described in the Bible. People cannot grasp the concept of the rockets and the Hubble telescopes and all those things that are out there in super deep space that send radio signals. How can you transfer a photograph by radio signal and send it back and have it deciphered and then see these things from deep space? How's that done? And they try to figure it out. But they don't have that capability. Mindset. The way that you will either listen to somebody or not listen to somebody. I had their mindset on these physicists or these science these uh, science professors because I was just doing what I was doing that I couldn't possibly comprehend and know that I couldn't possibly sit down at the coffee shop patio and have an in depth conversation with them about quantum physics or understand the theory of wormhole travel and the concept that the possibility of those things are beyond a linear existence. They couldn't believe that I could understand that speech until their companion, who is a physicist, told them, he said, hey, he understands. You ought to listen to what he has to say instead of cutting him off and not letting him be a part of the conversation. He actually chastised them because they wouldn't give me an opportunity to respond. And I had been sitting there having coffee and conversation with this man, and we had done this a number of times. But see, because their finite mind, they like to think in their arrogance that their mind was beyond finite, but it actually is, was, is. 
to see their thinking on the temporal plane of existence with their mindset. And they couldn't possibly believe that anybody that was not a physicist or a scientist or a professor could possibly understand them. <laughs> Wasn't all that difficult. And when I push, put out a theory that I had been discussing with the John, the professor that I had first met, And he said, you need to hear this. And I gave it to them. Then they wanted to go and they wanted to do a research. And that's no big deal. That's not just saying a pat on the back for me. That's saying a pat on the back of the knowledge and wisdom that God shared and endowed me with anyway. And that we need to not do this thing. We need to not see things with a temporal mindset. All the power is in the Lord. Jesus came to us, part of God, the only begotten Son of God, that he was given to the earth through Mary and Joseph, his earthly mother and father, by the Holy Spirit and came to sacrifice to that. He is all-powerful. The, the depth and breadth, the height, and we can't fathom his love. People still can't, can't comprehend it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Can't get that. Don't get that. And then you have the perverts up there saying, oh, see, God's condemning you. If you don't, you have to believe Jesus to, to get to believe or you're going to hell. That's not exactly what the word says. If you choose not to believe Jesus Christ and you choose not to believe God, you choose not to follow the Holy Spirit and you make the choice to do that, you've condemned yourself. But if you choose to accept and believe and follow and pray, I will, I do, let's go. And brothers and sisters, it's there. It's not an easy walk. But the practice of doing that constantly will become that, uh, you know, sometimes things are necessary to be redundant, repetitive, so that you can become accustomed to that, and then it becomes a regular practice. So remember what I said, that these things are perspective. And if you take a higher perspective on things, we walk through valleys and up and down and up and down. Yeah, we do that. But if we take a look from the higher perspective that God looks across, and if you've ever been in an airplane and you look across, and I, I did this, I did fear of heights that I have and all that, never been on a plane, but the first time I did that, I opened the window and I fell in love with what I was seeing, is that you can't see the valley, everything looks flat until you look way out in the distance and then you might see a mountain chain. But then you see them as a silhouette against the horizon, but everything looks flat. You can't see the dips and the valleys and the ruts and all. You can't, you can't see it. it. They look like shadow and line up there, but it all looks flat. And in reality, it is. But we look through the perspective, the higher perspective. And when we do that, that this fearfulness that drives our reactions, our instances, we, the fear goes away. Brothers and sisters, we have to do that. We have to not let fear drive us. Do not be fearful, which is what's happening around all the time. I see this stuff and it just, it boggles my mind that there are so many people that are willing to believe lies and deception and not truth. And then they declare that, oh, you have to follow the lie to get the truth. What? Wait, that, that's absolutely 
incomprehensible to me. You have to believe and follow the lie to get to the, the lie? Uh, no. Seek the truth. Research the truth. And believe the truth, not the lie. But they tell you to follow the lie. Well, if you follow the truth, you're going to get the absolute truth and it doesn't match what's going on. So, of course, they want to deny it. So, brothers and sisters, let me share this with you too. And this goes for the word of God as well as it does out there in mammalian existence. A cheetah is not a leopard. And it doesn't, many how, it doesn't matter how many hundreds and thousands or even millions of ignorant individuals will tell you this. A cheetah is not a leopard. What does that mean? And ignorance has nothing to do with stupidity. Ignorance is merely a lack of information or knowledge. Doesn't mean you're stupid. It just means you don't have the knowledge. That means that cheetahs and leopards are both physiologically and biologically a different species of animal. They are not one in the same. And that means that people are tr that are trying to promote that are liars. And that's what that means. And they are out there trying to tell you that one is the other and that that's... It. And people are going, oh, wow, I didn't know that. And then they get on the bandwagon and they believe the lie. And then they're clanging the cymbals and beating the drum saying, yeah, a cheetah's a leopard, a cheetah's a leopard. Follow the science, follow the science. Except that the science is not science. And they're telling you that it is. So anyway, that's what that means. But fear will lose its grip. No matter what the circumstances that we look at, God is there with us, he's beside us, and release, yeah, you have to release. I've, I've given you this exercise before. If you close your fist and you put your thumb over the, the side and then you look through both sides, try to peer in that little opening that's left on there, not much room in there and it's pretty dark, right? But if you open your hand and you let go and you put your fingers all the way out flat and your thumb out to the side and you look, now, all of a sudden, the light, the, the, the ambient light that's there, it's all lit up and it's no, not dark. And wow, there's open space. I can actually hold on to something. So if you release all that darkness, you release what you're, whatever it is that you're holding on to, the opportunity that you have to hold on to something is there. It's also a growth opportunity and strength. And remember that anything... Any of those adversities that we look at, and that way, if you change your perspective and you look at it, and remember that God is with you, always God is with you, always. The Lord is with us. Then it's for building our strength and faith. Brothers and sisters, you have a great day. You're in my prayers, my going out, and my coming in.